You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Get your Bibles open to two different places. Find Psalm 24, put a bookmark there, and then turn toward the back of your Bible and find 1 Peter chapter 2. We are kingdom citizens, and we're going to be reminded of that. But more than that, I want to talk about our king tonight. And uh, we're living in dark days. And this series is to remind us that as Christians, we have a dual citizenship. This world is not exclusively our home. But as American citizens, we're grieved as we watch the unraveling of the morality of our nation. We're living in a rapidly changing culture that is moving away from the Christian principles upon which this nation was founded. And you know, this is not the first time the days have been dark. This is not the first time that we have wondered, is our nation even going to survive? How many of you know who this guy is? Know that guy? Yeah. And uh, Abraham Lincoln, in 1862, made this statement. He says, "...the ways of God are mysterious and profound beyond comprehension." Who, by searching, can find him out? God only knows the issue of this business. Talking about what's going on in the nation. Now, he was being, trying to be the president, holding a nation together it was, as it was unraveling around the issues of the Civil War. And he understood the sovereignty of God and even made this statement. He, God, has destroyed nations from the map of history for their sins. Um, any president that understands that will be a better president. That God is in the business of raising up and tearing down nations because of their sin. He's done it in the past. He can do it again. But he went on to say this. Nevertheless, my hopes prevail generally above my fears for our republic. The times are dark. The spirits of ruin are abroad in all their power. And the mercy of God alone can save us. That's a president that knew what was going on in heaven was more important than what was going on on earth. Now, not only is America becoming increasingly secular and godless, it's becoming hostile toward the citizens of heaven. Kingdom citizens find themselves as objects of scorn in this nation. Our culture views us, kingdom citizens, as either irrelevant, just completely out of touch with anything that belongs to reality, or extreme, actually dangerous to the culture at large. I've been reading a book this week. It's a new book called Good Faith by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, and they've done a lot of research with the Barnet organization, and this is some of what they've discovered. Two out of every five adults in America believe it is extremist, to try to convert others to their faith. 60% of all adults in America and 83% of atheists and agnostics believe that evangelism, our fourth pillar, is extremist. In other words, they would put us in the same category as Islamic terrorists. That's the culture we're living in. They go on to report a slim majority says that holding the belief that same-sex relationships are morally wrong is extremist. Two out of five adults believe it's extremist to quit a good-paying job to pursue mission work in another country. 
They go on to say, what concerns people about extremism is the public expression of religion. When beliefs and practices enter the public square, for the most part, people think you can do whatever you want on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights in your churches just so long as it doesn't spill out into society. And so, this scorn is causing many of us as kingdom citizens to be silent or to fear expressing who we really are as citizens of heaven for fear of the reaction that we're going to get. It's like we've got this growing inferiority complex. It's like the kid at school that's always bullied and somebody takes his lunch money and so he kind of hides in the corners of the junior high or the girl who doesn't get a date to the prom and she begins to question whether or not she's worth anything or if she has any value or purpose or significance. That's, that's who we're becoming as the church. Maybe we think we should just kind of lay low and keep our head down and stay out of trouble, don't rock the boat, and we can just endure this life on earth is kind of a necessary evil and then one day we'll get to heaven and we'll be celebrated like the heroes of the faith because we endured all this mess down here well is that the way that God wants kingdom citizens to operate no the purpose of this series the purpose of this church is to remind kingdom citizens who they are it doesn't matter what the culture says we are it only matters what the king says we are. You know what the king has said about you? Let me read it for you in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Get your eyes on the page. If you have your eyes on a Bible, say eyes. Let's read it. It says, but you, kingdom citizens, are a chosen race. You, kingdom citizens, are a royal priesthood. You, kingdom citizens, are a holy nation. And that's what we've looked at the past three weeks in this series, and we've unpacked those. So here's the fourth identifier of a kingdom citizen. You are a people for his own possession. Do you know what that means? We are a purchased people. And what is our purpose? Why has he left us down here? He tells us that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so we're going to look at what it means to be a purchased people basically two points to the message tonight we're going to answer two questions first of all who are these purchased people and then we are going to look at the question who is this king who purchased them okay so let's look at this first of all and we're just kind of stay here in first peter chapter two for a few minutes and first of all we're going to discover these purchased people if you are one of these purchased people then this is what is true of you and here's the declaration that we made in spite of what people say about us we can believe this i am valued beyond my worth do you understand that principle in Scripture? That you in and of yourself as a creature made in the image of God, there is some dignity and worth that you have in the image of God, but basically 
that residual image has been marred and scarred and stained by the sin that you've committed and the motives of your heart. But God has valued you in spite of the fact that you have declared war on him as king. And he has opened the doors of the kingdom and at great cost to himself has bought you and purchased you and welcomed you in to his kingdom. Do you know what that means? That if you ever feel belittled or forgotten, if you ever feel like you are not pretty enough, raise your hand if you are not pretty enough, okay? All right. If the person didn't raise their hand next to you, just go ahead and say, um, well, we won't go there. But uh, uh, none of us really are pretty enough, and none of us really are smart enough. How many of you ever felt like I'm not smart enough? How many of you feel like I, I, I do not have the athleticism? No, I didn't get that one. How many of you, um, not, not in, in, incredibly impressive in any way that you can think of? Yeah. Well, you probably have been accused of some of that. And when you are accused of some of that, you can just simply nod your head. Yes, that is true. But here is also what is true. In spite of that, I am valued beyond my worth. That's what it means to be a kingdom, of, kingdom citizen because you were purchased with a Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Write it down. It says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. What was that price that was paid for you? What was the price tag on you? If God wanted to possess you, Acts 20, verse 28, tells us he purchased us with his own blood. That was the price. That's what, it would, that's what it took to buy you back from the slave market of sin. I am a purchased person. I am valued beyond my worth. That means that God loved you enough to pay a price for you. Not only does God love you, this assures me he actually likes me. I mean, when I'm at Best Buy, I see a lot of stuff I like. And I do not have the financial resources to purchase all of it. God looked upon this earth and saw some people that he liked he wanted to possess them. He wanted to take them out of where they were and bring them into his kingdom. And he put his affection on you. He loved you. He liked you. And now he is securing you, not because you are in any way impressive, but simply because he put value on you and purchased you at great cost to himself. Do you know what that means? That means I belong to God. He owns me. I am not my own. I do not own myself. So what do I have? I don't have ownership over my body, over my time. I don't have ownership over my brain. I don't even have ownership over my hands and feet. Those belong to God. What I have is a stewardship to use my body, use my hand, use my mind, use my time 
for that which God wants. I don't buy stuff I don't use. So I am owned by God, but God also has a purpose in mind. He wants to put me into use. He wants to get some work done in me so that he can get some work done through me. I belong to God. You know what that means? Anytime I'm tempted to use my mind, to use my eyes, to use my body, to use my time, to use my money for sinful purposes, I need to remind myself, I am a kingdom citizen. I am a purchased person. I do not belong to myself. I belong to God. I should get up every morning and ask God, God, what do you want from me today? It's all yours. It all belongs to you. I am purchased. I am your possession. Put me to work. That's the attitude of a kingdom citizen. And it means that I have God's protection. You know, that which God owns, He protects. That means that I am secure. I don't have to fear what's happening around me. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to defend myself against accusation. I belong to God. Do you believe that? Belong to God. It also means this. I am called out of darkness. We saw it here in verse 9. It says, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is no secret that our culture is growing darker as it continues to extinguish the light coming from God in his word. They're not interested in things that give light. Our culture is increasingly a culture that values darkness. Somehow we think that God can't see in the dark. And so we do things in the dark because we think that they're covered or hidden from God. Well, God shines his light. All of those things done in darkness are fueled by the prince of darkness, Satan himself, who does not love the light. How many of you remember the presidency of Ronald Reagan? We're the old people. Yeah, they're there. So, so like me. I mean, those were the good old days, right, for us, right? I mean, Reagan presidency and, you know, um, the 80s. And I, there was an election campaign that Ronald Reagan did for his second term in office. In 1984, he ran these ads, and it was called Morning in America. Remember these? It's morning in America again. It showed all these wonderful pictures of flowers blooming and children playing on the playground and all these things. Now, four years earlier, he was showing, you know, like nuclear bombs going off and stuff because that was what was going to happen if you didn't elect him, apparently. And so here we are now, four years later, and all is right with the world and and everything's been restored. It's morning, and and that's kind of the picture. The sun's rising and light has appeared. And that, that he won 49 states in that election. And uh, he, he won because people want to know that there's light coming. No matter how dark it's been, that the sunrise is coming. Well, that's the hope that kingdom citizens live with. But can I just tell you, it is not 1984. It's midnight in America. And it could be darker than it has ever been. And yet, for a kingdom citizen, we know what it is like to have radiant light 
shine into our darkness. A couple of weeks ago, I loaned my car to my daughter, and, and she was going to Chicago for the weekend, which means I had to drive her car. And so I was driving her car around, and I noticed it was, it was late at night one night. I was driving home, and I couldn't see anything. And I'm like, how has my daughter been driving this car, and she's been at risk because she's driving in darkness? I got home, and sure enough, she had a headlight out. So I made sure to replace the headlight. By the way, she's got a great opportunity. She's actually going to go on staff at Big Harvest over in Chicago next week and be a part of the worship team over there and Vertical Church Band and all that. So really excited about Brooke doing that. But uh, I, I made sure that I was not sending her into the darkness that is Chicago um, with a headlight out. And so if you are a person that knows what it's like to live in darkness, what does that mean? Two, two different things here. Darkness simply means that you, you're uninformed. It, it means that there's a, there's a lack of knowledge, right, about something. And, and what that means is you kind of bump into things when you don't have light. You, you run it into a ditch. How many of you have run it into the ditch sometime when you were living in darkness, right? And you've got stains and, and scars from, from, from a lifetime of choices living in darkness, right? Well, it also means to live in spiritual darkness or moral darkness. It means that you can't see God. You're blind to the reality of God. It means that you're blind to spiritual truth. And it just, it's like maybe there was a season in your life or maybe you're there right now and it's just like as God's word is being preached and read and it's just like you just kind of scratch their head and it's like, I just don't get it. Well, it could be that there is a spiritual blindness and you have not yet had the light of God appear. Can I tell you, if that's you tonight, God wants to make you a kingdom citizen. He wants to make you a purchased person. He is calling you right now out of your darkness. And he wants to bring you into, what does it say? Marvelous light. Notice it doesn't say marvelous darkness, right? marvelous light. We marvel at how God could put his affection on us, pay a price for us, and put us in a better place. Kingdom citizens have received the light of Jesus. It's like a beacon that's illuminated our dark lives. He's opened our eyes to spiritual truth, and now we see the glorious nature of our King. The light of God has shined and we see the glory in the face of Jesus. That's what makes us kingdom citizens. And that means that as a kingdom citizen, if I am called out of darkness, listen, I've got no business going into dark places. In my mind, in my behavior, I've got no business entertaining myself with dark realities of spiritual God has called you out of that get out of that and live in the light now God can use you now as light to shine light into dark places because we read this the light Jesus said in John chapter 3 the light has come into the world who was the light ultimately who was the light Jesus Jesus was the light he came into a very dark place, the world. Are you grateful that Jesus came into the darkness? Yeah. yeah. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness. Why do people live in darkness? Because we love darkness. 
It's not an external problem. It is a root issue in my heart. I don't just live in darkness because I make a mistake. I live in darkness because my heart is drawn to darkness. That's how dark the reality is in my heart. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true does what? Comes to the light. Come on. Come to the light. That's what we do every time we wake up in the morning. We open our Bibles. We get before God in prayer. We're coming to the light because We live in such a dark place. But then the flip side of that coin is this. Jesus said, not only is he light, but who else is light? You, kingdom citizen, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you because you're such an awesome person. Is that what it says? Don't let me get away with stuff like that, okay? <laughs> they may see your good works and give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. I'm just a kingdom citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven, but he's actually in heaven. And the only way he shines light now is through you, kingdom citizen. And so I'm to share the light that I've received with others. And one of the reasons is because I have been made an object of God's mercy. Do you see it there in verse 10? Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word means to have compassion, not on an undeserving person, but to have compassion on an ill-deserving person. Do you know the difference? You're not just undeserving of mercy. You're ill-deserving of mercy. And so mercy is the result of a king going outside the gates of his kingdom and putting his affection and compassion upon people living in a dark kingdom who have actually declared war on the king. And as an act of mercy, he's drawn us to himself. He's opened our eyes, and so we open our eyes so that we can show compassion and mercy on others. It's what we were talking about earlier when we talked about the opportunity to get involved in something like safe families. We've got wonderful ministries of mercy and compassion here at Harvest. You hear a lot about um, going down to Hope Ministries and getting involved down there. And, and we have teams that go down there weekly and disciple men. Micah goes down there and leads worship. We go down there and our small groups serve meals and, and disciples uh, Uh, men and women down there. Uh, We've got a wonderful group uh, uh, called Amazing Grace, and they go into assisted care facilities and minister to people, teach the Bible, and pray with people who have lost their mobility. They can't come to church anymore. We've got um, Project Warm that you've heard about, and, and you've seen the backpacks that we're providing for people that we don't even know, but we know that they're disadvantaged, and so we show mercy. So many opportunities to get involved. The reason that we're opening up this opportunity for safe families is because Because as a kingdom citizen, we've mentioned this before, but you're an ambassador of king. 
Do you know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is a legal representative of a king who is not present. The scripture calls us ambassadors. And do you know where the ambassador lives? Who knows? Who knows where the ambassador lives when he's in a foreign country? What's it called? The ambassador lives where? In the embassy. Do you know what your home is? Your home is an embassy of heaven. You live in a foreign land. You live in a hostile territory. But God has sent you as an ambassador to live in an embassy to shine the light of mercy on the people around you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in Liberia where we've got seven, or we've got eight churches now, and uh, we care for those churches as Harvest Granger. And I was uh, spending some time down there, and, and I actually got to visit the American embassy in Liberia. And it, it, do you understand Liberia is like, like the second poorest country on the planet? And unemployment there is like 85%. It's very impoverished. Children just running around everywhere. And most of them don't even have shirts on. And they're running around with no shoes on. And, and um, it's, it's just, it's, it's very dirty. It's very impoverished. A lot of corruption in the government. It doesn't feel very safe. And it's not very clean. And in the midst of that, we've got some vertical, spirit-filled, life-giving churches there that are shining the light in that country. And so I had the opportunity to visit the American embassy in Liberia. Honestly, I was not expecting much. I mean, the country doesn't even necessarily have electricity. I'm like, what's the American embassy going to be like in Liberia? Well, we pulled up there. We were met by some wonderful Marines, and they ushered us through the gate. And as soon as I stepped through the gate, it was as if I was back in America. I mean, the lights were bright, and there was American music playing. They ushered us through the, the quarters of these men that served over there. They had flat-screen TVs, and they were watching ESPN, and uh, they, they had refrigerators, and they were eating TV dinners, and, and it was just like, man, we're back in America. That's what an embassy is. Is the language that's spoken in your home reflective of the language of heaven are the attitudes on display in your home reflective of the attitudes that are right now in heaven is the music in your home reflective of the music that's going on right now in heaven you're an embassy of heaven placed in a hostile territory and that's one of the reasons that we've invited you. What, would you like to open your doors to some of the, the natives down here and give them a taste of what it's like in heaven? That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. That's what it means to make your home an embassy of heaven. I'm an object of God's mercy. I need to be a distributor of God's mercy. And then this, I will proclaim the excellencies of my king. Why? Because I'm a purchased person. That's the reason he's left us here. That's what it says here in verse 9. You are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a wonderful word, isn't it? Excellencies. I mean, we even think of a king that way, don't we? Your excellency. 
Well, I'd like to spend the rest of the time here today doing that very thing, just proclaiming the excellencies of this king. And we're going to try to answer this question as we finish here. Second question, who is this king? Now, if we want to know the answer to that question, we need to go to the place in the Bible where that question is actually asked. And that question is actually asked over in Psalm chapter 24. So turn with me to Psalm 24. You're going to see that question here in just a moment. But I want us to begin reading in verse 1. It says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Do you know what that reminds us? That reminds us and anyone else, this place belongs to God. And every person on it belongs to God. There have been a lot of rulers that have tried to stake a claim and said, the world belongs to me. Um, correction, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. One day he will rule and reign supremely over every nook and cranny on the earth. But until that happens, please understand there is not a square inch on the planet over which Jesus does not stake his claim and say, it's mine. It belongs to me. And every person, those who dwell therein, every person, belongs to God. Now, that does not mean that every person is a kingdom citizen, but it does mean that God makes claim on every person. So, we understand that those that would make a claim um, in a secondary sense. Are you a landowner-ish? If you own a piece of property-ish, because it all belongs to God, right? And any tyrant, any president, they need to understand God owns it all. Every place, every people belong to God. It was made exclusively for him. And then look at verse 3. It asks a question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Now, that question needs to be interpreted like this. Who wants to ascend the hill of the Lord? Who really wants to stand in his holy presence? And so I would ask you that here tonight. You've gone to the trouble to come to Harvest Granger. My question to you is how many of you have come to Harvest Granger want to ascend from Harvest Granger into the presence of a holy God? Who wants it? Anybody interested in that? Now, before you start nodding your head, please understand there are some requirements involved in this particular. First of all, understand it is an ascent. That means that there's always an upward call on a kingdom citizen. You never get to the place where you say, you know what, this is working out really great. I don't think I want to go any further. It's always an ascent. When you wake up in the morning, the Lord is saying to you, who wants to go on a little climb with me? Who wants to ascend from wherever you are tonight to where God wants you to be? And understand this, 
there is some intentional effort involved. If you are living here as a citizen of earth, there is a gravitational pull that is called your flesh that wants to keep you down. The Lord wants you to go on an ascent. And so there's going to be some times when you are exhausted. There are going to be some times when you are weighted down with guilt and shame of what yesterday looked like. And yet God is saying, who wants to ascend the hill of the Lord? And the offer is open. If you want to go on that journey, please take note of what will be required. Notice he says in verse 4, he answers his own question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Here's an answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands is talking about outward actions. Pure heart, speaking of inward motives. A couple of weeks ago, Andrea got out in our flower beds and ish. Um, they're really kind of weed beds. And uh, she's like, I'm going to clean up all the weeds. And she went after them. And she just, she just took care of all of them. And she worked all afternoon. Well, about four days later, she noticed these big welts on her arms and her legs and everything. And she thought she got into poison ivy. It turned out to be something even worse. It's called spiny nettle. And I'm like, she's been invaded by this horrible thing. And it's just taking it, oozing. And should I mention the word pus? Probably not in church. But um, it was just bad, okay? And, and we did research on it. Apparently, these, these horrible weeds, they have this oil that's kind of like tar, and it just kind of germinates, and there's no way to get it off. And that just kind of took over her. She had to go to the doctor and get, like, steroid to clean it all up. It was awful. You want to go to the hill of the Lord? You got to get the spiny nettle off of you. All the weeds of sin and dirt and corruption and even all the inward motive of selfishness and greed and pride, that can't be there. And at the same time, you be in the presence of a holy God. You really sure you want to go on an ascent? You really sure? Better clean your hands. Better purify your heart. He goes on. He who has clean hands and pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So we're still talking about these kingdom citizens in the first part of this psalm. You really want to go see the king? You really want to be in his presence? Understand this. No one will be in his presence with unclean hands and impure motives. Now, we're reading in the Old Testament here. We understand this through the global understanding of Scripture and the question, if only those who have clean hands and a pure heart can stand in the presence of a holy God, who gets to stand in the presence of a holy God? Hold up the universal symbol of how many people have clean hands and a pure heart. Anybody here tonight? Anybody want to say, I'm going, I'm going. No. Who 
is the only one that the scripture identifies had clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus. So we understand the actual sequence of the way that you ascend into the holy presence of God is kind of from the bottom up. First of all, you must be purchased. Secondly, you are declared righteous. Do you see it there in verse 5? He will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness. Do you understand you have to receive righteousness before you can actually be right and do right? So, Step one, I must be a purchased person. Step two, I must receive righteousness. Step three, I can now receive blessings from the Lord. Step four, now I can purify my heart. Step five, now I can have clean hands. Step six, now I can ascend the hill of the Lord. And finally, now I can be in His holy presence. Do you see it works from the bottom up? You see, religion teaches it the other way around. If you'll clean your hands, clean your life up, if you'll get all those dirty thoughts out of your heart, now God will say, okay, now you're clean enough, you can come on in. The gospel says completely the opposite. It says, only Jesus had clean hands and a pure heart, therefore you must be purchased by his blood. Now you can understand what it means to receive righteousness and receive a blessing, clean your heart, clean your hands. Now I'm in his holy presence as I ascend the hill of the Lord. Now, let's, talk, let's stop talking about you. We've been talking about you for too long, okay? Let's talk about the king. Who is this king? Here's the first thing we need to understand. Three things. First of all, he is the lifter of my head. And that means I will get my eyes on his glory. Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Here's the question, verse 8. Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. He asked the question again, who is this king of glory? He is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Get your head up. If you watch the news, what will be the direction of your head? You will eventually hang your head. If you look at your f annual physical, what will be the direction of your head? If you look at your grades or your bank account, what will eventually be the direction of your head? It will, you will hang your head. Listen, as a kingdom citizen, in spite of what we see in all of those realities, there is a reality that transcends those realities, and that is this. We have a king of glory. He is the Lord, strong and mighty. I am a kingdom citizen. I am a chosen race. I am a royal priesthood. I am a holy nation. I am a purchased people. What are you doing hanging your head? Lift up your head. Get your eyes on His glory. If your head, the position of your head, fluctuates based on the stock market, your grades, your health, your income, the news, sports, 
or whoever is sitting in the Oval Office. You need to get your eyes on the glory of this king and get your head up. Here's the second thing. He is my mighty defender. Did you see it in verse 8? Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong. Strong. He is strong. He is powerful. And he is mighty in battle. Are you facing any battles? Are you fighting those battles on your own? Or are you relying upon his power? If you're relying upon his power and he is fighting for you, You've got nothing to worry about because he is undefeated. We've read the end of the book, and he wins. The question is, are you on his side? Maybe the better question is, is are you in the kingdom? Too often we pray like, God, would you please come on my side? That's the wrong prayer. The prayer is, Lord, I surrender. I am coming to be on your side. Again, Abraham Lincoln. One day there was a man that asked Abraham Lincoln, do you think the Lord is on our side in the Civil War? Wisely, the president answered this way, I am not at all concerned about that, for I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right. But it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. He is the Lord, strong and mighty in battle. He's never lost a battle. The question is, is he fighting for us or is he fighting against us? Anybody want to be on the Lord's side in that battle? Absolutely. And here's the final thing. Who is this king? Well, he is a king who is near. We've read it over and over. Not only is there a movement of kingdom citizens in ascending the hill of the Lord, there is movement in this chapter of the Lord coming near his kingdom citizens. Do you see the movement? He's on his way to his kingdom as a triumphant, victorious king. He is coming to his kingdom to sit righteously and rightly on his throne. And so the cry of this psalmist is this. Lift up the doors. Get the gates open. We lift up the doors and lift up the gates. Apparently the hinges were not like we would think of a door, but it's more like your garage door that goes up. Get the gates up. And so personally, as we apply this, we need to understand the Lord continually wants access to the kingdom that is your heart. He wants to sit on that throne. Is your attitude toward him the same attitude of this psalm? Head up at attention. I've got my eyes on your glory. No matter how far away I am, Lord, you want to come near and you want access to every area of my heart. Lord, I go on record. I am flinging open the doors and you have access to everything I am. Do you remember the first time you did that?
in an all-out surrender, when you were convinced that this king was not just an ancient, far-off, distant king, but he was inviting you into his kingdom as an act of mercy, that years ago this king sent his son, and at great cost, he hung him on a cross, he bled out, so that by his blood he could purchase you back from sin and slavery. That's the story of the gospel. This king has come near to us, and he wants to come even nearer. The question is, who wants to ascend? Who wants to go? Who wants to open the doors to this king and invite him in? Now listen, we do that initially at our salvation, but we do that every time. We sense the nearness of the Lord and He wants more access and more territory in my heart. Is your heart's door open to Him? What area of ownership does He claim that you're still holding on to? And how is that demonstrated by the stuff on your hands, the outward activities of your life, the words that are flying out of your mouth, the the types of darkness that we enter into. Listen, if you're a kingdom citizen, he's called you out of that. If you're not a kingdom citizen, he wants access to your heart. The king wants to be your king. You want to be a citizen? Put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus who on the cross paid the ultimate price to purchase you from sin. Let's bow our heads for a minute. And I want to just continue to appeal to those of you who may not yet know what it's like to be in his kingdom. If he seems far from you, why not right now lift up your head, lift up the gates and the doors of your heart He wants access. He wants to be your king. He wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Why don't you, by faith, just call out to him right now and say, Lord, I've been so far from you. I've lived my life in darkness, never really known what it's like to have the light of God illuminate the dark places in my soul. Maybe tonight for the first time you sense that light coming on. You're seeing things you've never seen before. You're believing things you thought were unbelievable. That's the Spirit of God illuminating the darkness in your heart. Would you welcome Him? Would you put your faith in Him? Would you stop trusting your ability to clean up your own hands and purify your own heart? And understand that is a cleansing only He can do. Embrace Him by faith. At the end of this service, our elders and our pastors will be here. They'd love to welcome you and pray with you as you come. You might just want to say, I want to go on record trusting Christ. I believe he's purchased me tonight by his mercy. But for those of you that are kingdom citizens, 
there some area of darkness that you've continued to live in? Is there a new level of cleansing, a new level of purifying in your heart that needs to be done by the Spirit of God? Why don't you, in a fresh new way, open up those doors, open up those gates? Have you been intimidated? Have you been silent about who you really are? Would you just be reminded you're a child of the King. Your value and your worth is not assigned to you by a bunch of worldlings. It's assigned to you by the King. Believe Him. Trust Him. Father, today we give you great glory that is yours and yours alone. You are a King of glory. And we marvel at the light of who you are. That you would put your affection on us and draw us by your mercy to repentance and faith. God, continue to pour that into our soul. And God, we embrace the identity, the worth and the value you've placed on us, not because we are good, but because you are good. Thank you, King Jesus, for the mercy you've shown to us. We were once not a people, but now we're God's people. We were once those who had not yet received mercy, but we have received mercy. God, remind us of that tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.